I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory with the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we, have, if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Thank you Beth. Wonderful reading. Now it is my pleasure to introduce Mr. Mike Carson, who's going to come and give us a talk on what we've just heard. So I'm just going to pray for him as he comes up and he gets ready. Lord, thank you so much for Mike. Thank you for who he is. Thank you for all of the preparation he's put into this talk. And I pray that we will receive it and it will speak deeply into our hearts and our minds. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Nathan. Very good. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. It's lovely to see you all and to know as well that uh, there are many watching online. 
It's a uh, privilege to be with you to share the last in our series on the creeds, um, what we believe in. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. So Simon said, Mike, you've got it all. You've got all the last bit. He said, it's it's hope. I said, so I get the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. He said, you get it all. It's good theology there, actually. In fact, I was just thinking um, when we were singing, I needn't say anything else, really, any more than um, than Phil Wickham uh, and and Brian Johnson said when they, Bill Johnson said when they write, um, then came the morning that sealed the promise we just sung. Your buried body began to breathe. That's the resurrection. Out of the silence, the roaring lion, the lion of Judah, Jesus himself, declared the grave has no claim on me, so my body will be risen too. Jesus, yours is the victory. Hallelujah. Praise praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. The salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Actually, if you do no more than sing that three times tonight before you go to bed, that's probably enough, isn't it? The theology is fabulous. Uh, What is it that we believe in? What is it that we do believe in? Do we believe in the resurrection of the body and the everlasting life? I met an Australian preacher, a great guy, uh, a few years ago called Philip Jensen, very outspoken, brilliant preacher. He said, he said, You've got, people ask you what you believe. Go and ask them, what do you think happens when you die? Where are you going to go to when you die, mate? Because people don't know. Now, as a child, this always troubled me. When I was a kid, my grandparents passed away. I'd lost um, uh, uh, both grandfathers by the age of nine and one grandmother, actually. And as an adult, uh, so, so that used to worry me, but then as an adult, I became more preoccupied with this world. I think that's probably part of the journey. Um, I remember having a conversation uh, in my 30s with someone who was saying, quite rightly, how the gospel is not about jam tomorrow. It's not all about the future. It's about now as well. Of course it is. Of course it's about how we live. And it's about living in faith and hope. And the two are very important. The danger for most of us is when we get to a certain age, we lean too far the other way and become too much of the world and don't have our minds set enough on eternity. And I remain passionate about this life, but somehow the gladiator's famous words resonate. What we do in life echoes in eternity. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Paul gives huge weight to the eternal perspective, not just in tonight's reading, which we'll come back to, but in what I think of as his mega chapter. Well, this is Romans 8 is probably his greatest chapter, but... Probably the second greatest is 1 Corinthians 15. And in 1 Corinthians 15, where he deals with the resurrection, he writes, if only for this life do we have hope, then we are to be pitied more than all people. If only for this life do we have hope, then we are to be pitied more than all people. So many people say, well, you know what? If it helps you, then that's fine. You can have what faith you need. If it helps you, that's great. If it helps you get through But Paul says, no, that's not the point. In fact, it's emphatically not the point. In fact, that will make us worthy of the deepest pity because we would have been believing a lie 
Do not tell me that Jesus is a crutch to get me through life. Tell me that Jesus is my answer. Tell me that Jesus is my salvation. Tell me that Jesus gives me eternal life. I have a friend who grew up as a Muslim. And he said to an imam, he said, what must I do to, to inherit eternal life? And the, 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 the imam said, well, you know, you, you, you face east, you face Mecca, face east um, uh, six times a day, you pray, or whatever it is. Forgive me, I, I think it's six. But, you, and you know, you pray, and you follow the following rules. And my friend said, and his, he said, will I get to heaven? He said, if Allah wills. My friend said, not enough. So he started looking at the claims of Christianity and became a believer in Christ because of the offer of Jesus Christ, which is believe in me and you will rise from the dead and you will be with me for eternity. It all begins with knowing that we are eternal creatures. Do we know this? Do we know that we are eternal creatures, even as we're made right now? Sometimes, if you're like me, you feel anything but eternal. Uh, as we get older, our bodies begin to wear out um, some, to some people, happens younger than others, but we, we become desperately aware. I've become desperately aware of my physical and mental limitations. Paul writes elsewhere in the mega chapter, he says, Our bodies will be transformed and we will be renewed. Our bodies will be transformed and we will be renewed. And that is great news. Our bodies will be incomparably better than the ones we have now. In Philippians 3.20, we read, the Savior from heaven, whom we eagerly await, the Lord Jesus Christ, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. They will be like his glorious body. Jesus came back to life, not as a ghost, but as physically risen. Now, some people struggle with the way he said to Mary, do not hold on to me, but that's not about being a wraith. In fact, he said that when she was holding on to him. Um, he says it precisely because she's grabbed him. He's saying, there's more. There's more. Just like at the transfiguration, he said to Peter, don't try and build me a shelter to stay in. Don't limit me. There's much more than this. But then he says to Thomas, here are my hands. Here's my side. Put your hand in it. It's, it doesn't get more physical than that. There was no body left in the grave. And that is precisely the point of Easter. So if anyone tells you that the Christian faith is just about rules, or it's just about doing good, or it's about a crutch, or it's about anything other than the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, and therefore the physical resurrection of you and me, they're wrong. They're just wrong. The whole precedent of the Christian faith is the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's all there is. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. And there's, well, I say it's all there is. That's the key. And then there's much more, because there's, there's the ascension, there's the reign, and there's eternity. If the promise is bodily resurrection, that is going to make a huge difference. Eternity, my friends, is not going to be a bunch of spirits floating around all wispy and formless. It's not going to be small, cherubic-looking things playing harps on clouds. It might be massive, great, warlike angels playing music like we've never heard. I think there's going to be a chunk of that. But it's going to be very, very real. The eternity that we have with God is all about life. It's got to be about life, but life, life in a fullness that we can't even begin to imagine. Now, Jesus frequently spoke of this. He frequently spoke of eternity and of a time that he called the renewal of all things. 
In Matthew chapter 19, he says, Truly I tell you this, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man, that's him, sits on his glorious throne, you who follow me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields or whatever you've left for my sake, you will receive a hundred times as much and you will inherit eternal life. The word used here for the renewal of all things is palingenesia. Palingenesia. It's very easy. Palin means again and genesia, like Genesis, means the beginning. So it's the beginning again. So it's back to Eden, back to the beginning that we know. Or as John Milton would have it, paradise restored. It's paradise restored. We've suffered paradise lost. This is paradise restored. Eden was paradise. We lost it. This will be restored. In the great text from Romans that we heard earlier, Paul speaks of the groaning of creation. We let go of Eden spiritually at the fall. Now, after millennia of selfish living, humankind... Here we are as fallen rulers of God's creation, looking with regret and fear at what we've destroyed as the world focuses at last on climate. But we know it will be restored. We know it will be restored. Because heaven is not, as my friend John Eldridge says, not an everlasting church service in the sky. Now, this is a great church service that we've got tonight. and I love that worship. But if heaven is one long church service in the sky... I'm not looking forward to it because I want to hang out with you guys and I want to hang out with a lot of other guys too and I want to ride horses and I want to climb mountains and I want to do all sorts of things. Um, It's the restoration forever and ever of all the beautiful things we've lost. Think of a friend taken early or a parent or, or perhaps worse, a child taken away before you had a chance to tell them how you felt, really felt. Think of the woman I met a few years back who was an Olympic rider at the age of 19. She was knocked off her horse at the age of 20 and paralyzed. Think of the lost treasures of the world, the extinct species and the jungles and the wildlife decimated. Think of all of these things that we've lost and all of it will return. All of it will return and return for keeps. (laughs) will return forever. We will meet around the campfires of heaven around bottles of the finest Barolo, or whatever is your nectar, and whatever is sheer delight for you. I'm probably going to spend days talking with Sergio Aguero about that goal against Queen's Park Rangers and say, how did you do that? Just tell me one more time. Just run me through it, Sergio, one more time. And he'll say, Mike, I've done this 330 times. I'll say, it's okay. We've got a thousand years, and then a thousand more, and then a thousand million more, and you can talk to me as much as you like. So if we believe all this, and we say Sunday after Sunday that we do believe in all this, then how do we live? How do we live now? How should we live now? How should we let this fact transform us, that we will have our bodies back for eternity in joy? Well, the thing is that it means we live in hope. This is this great word, hope. This is not some vague, wafting sort of possible, right? It's not that sort of hope. This is the sure, uncertain hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus. This is the hope, the kind of hope that fills our hearts and lifts our spirits. The writer to the Hebrews calls it an anchor for the soul. In Ephesians, Paul talks of the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. The riches of his glorious inheritance. The inheritance is what people pass down to you. Your parents pass you down an inheritance. Hopefully, the Father will pass us 
an inheritance that is eternal, eternal and beautiful. In Colossians, Jesus, Paul speaks of Jesus himself as being Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. That is Jesus. This is not a vain hope for an unlikely outcome. In this morning's take on this, Craig asked us, what do you place your hope in? What do you place your hope in? But if it's placed in anything other than Jesus, it will come unstuck. Or stands a very, very good chance of coming unstuck, and in the long run it will. But Jesus' hope is forever and ever and ever and ever. It's something in which we can have utter confidence because we know the outcome. I, I'm, I'm actually, I was writing this, I was thinking of a very, very funny story. It was um, when I was in the Navy and I was in a warship and uh, we used to have um, movie nights on the ship's video system, right? So we'd play a movie and everyone in all the mess decks and the wardroom, everyone could watch, um, who wasn't on watch, could watch the, the, the movie. And one night they screened Chariots of Fire. If any of you know Chariots of Fire, um, particularly guys, you who are under 22, um, and Chariots of Fire came out when I was about 15. Um, if you haven't seen it, please, you've got to watch it because it is absolutely one of the great movies. But the point was, <laughs> and you'll, those of you who've seen it will know exactly what I'm talking about, it comes to the last race where the great Eric Little is about to run the 400 meters for only the third time of his life instead of the 100 that he was meant to run. And one of the mechanics in our marine engineer mess, the Stokers, bless them, tend not to be the most bright in the world. One of these young mechanics actually bet a fiver with the leading hand of his mess that Eric Little wouldn't win the gold. And the, and the leading hand of the mess was going, it's a fiver. And his mates were going, you can't take your fiver off him, he's only 18, it doesn't matter. Anyway, he bet on the sure and certain hope that Eric Little would win the gold because he'd seen the movie and he had the history books. Well, guess what? We've seen the movie too. In fact, we haven't, but our friend has. Jesus has seen the movie. And he says, I know. And you're coming. You get the gold medal. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and we will have the crown of life. And we will have the crown of life. And just briefly back, I know it's, um, it's, it's very topical, it's very seasonal, and it sh must remain so. And so we've made a significant difference. But how we've treated the planet, that will be a relief, because it does mean that while we do look at the destruction now with deep concern, and we should, but as with so many things in this fallen world, we can be sure that all will be well. Ultimately, all will be well. And we, as opposed to much of the world, must live in hope and not in fear. That is, our, that is our heritage as Christians. We live in hope and not in fear. We don't cover over the truth. We look at it straight in the eyes, but we live in hope. We live in the context, Spinoza, the great philosopher said, the context of eternity. And we live knowing, as Paul says in Romans, that we are predestined, called, justified, and glorified. Which also means just finally, that we must live as the eternal beings that we are. This is our duty and our right. Now, <clears throat> if that is right, and it is, then every human being we meet is made in the image of God, yeah? And that means that every human being we meet is an eternal being. 
It's only a question of where we're going to spend our eternity. C.S. Lewis writes this incredible thing in his paper, The Weight of Glory, uh, written about eight years ago. He says, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you will be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, he writes, in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it's with the awe and the circumspection proper to them, that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, immortals whom we work with, immortals whom we marry, but also immortals who we snub and immortals who we exploit, either immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Everyone we meet is immortal. Extraordinary, isn't it? What we do in life echoes in eternity. But thanks be to God, there is one thing of which we can be sure. Whatever we encounter on our journey in this life, we know what awaits us in the next. Not the fullness of it, of course. We, that is so beautiful. It's beyond. We've had a go at it tonight, but it's way beyond our capacity to take hold of, even to dream of. But as daughters and sons of God, glory, glory is our birthright. The glory that was ours before the dawn of the age and has been restored to us through the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, our Lord. See you there, in person, and forever. You bring the Barolo.